today on Building the Open Metaverse. Digital twins was was one of the use cases. Now, what happens? What can you do if you connect the real and virtual worlds? And all kinds of insights can happen, not just in real time, but if you have enough processing power to start simulating the real world as to what might happen. And if you can do that quickly enough, uh, fast enough, you can begin to you know, predict the future. Welcome to Building the Open Metaverse, where technology experts discuss how the community is building the open metaverse together. Hosted by Patrick Cozy from Cesium and Mark Petit from Epic Games. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our show, Building the Open Metaverse, the podcast where technologists share their insight on how the community is building the open metaverse together. Hello, I'm Mark Petit from Epic Games. Very excited to kick off season three with my co-host, Patrick Cozy from Cesium. Patrick, how are you? Hey, Mark, I'm doing great, and I'm really excited for season three. Yeah, we have an amazing lineup of guests. going to be exciting. We're going to mention some of that today. And to kick off season three, we decided to pick it up where we left it at the end of season two, which is with Neil Trivet, president of the Kronos Group and VP developer ecosystem at NVIDIA. Neil, welcome back to the show. Hey, Mark. Thanks for the invite back. I'm glad you can't get rid of me that easy. <laughs> oh, no, we can't. Eh? <laughs> And the reason, the reason why I wanted to have you back is because, you know, during over the summer, a few things happened. You know, we, we left with the creation of the Metaverse Standards Forum, and then we had SIGGRAPH in between, which I think was a, an important moment for, uh, for the interoperability agenda. So that's what we thought we would do today to kick off season three is, you know, talk about the highlight of the SIGGRAPH conference and uh, as well uh, talk about the Metaverse Standards Forum. So why don't we start with SIGGRAPH? Um, so Patrick and I hosted a full day course on the open metaverse. Uh, kudos to Patrick for organizing most of the course. He, to be honest, he did all the job. Uh, took a lot of effort uh, to work with the SIGGRAPH organization. So um, it, it was a fantastic day. Uh, you remember, Patrick, we were worried we had such a big room. <laughs> that we, we did. Yeah, and we were not sure we could attract people, but at the end of the day, we had more than 600 people uh, in the room, and uh, it was packed, and people did not leave. So there was, uh, there was a good feeling. We had a morning session uh, with Neil Stephenson, the author of Snow Crash, Guido Caroni, Steve May, Natalia Tatarczyk, and Revely Baradian from NVIDIA. In the afternoon, we had Morgan McGuire, Jeff Peterson, Nadine Alame, and you, Mr. Trevitt. So the reason why we invited Neil Stephenson, because he's the guy who dreamt and named the metaverse in his book, Snow Crash, and he's now the founder and creator of Lamina One and New Layer One blockchain. So we felt he was a relevant, uh, a relevant person to have, of course. And the news is that we'll have Neil on the podcast very soon, right, Patrick? Yes, we're recording this week. He'll be out soon. Actually, he said something during his presentation is he... He imagined all of that before Doom and 3D games were released. I thought it was an interesting, uh, an interesting data point about his ability to see uh, in the future. Yeah, he he went right back into his history, right back to using rays from you know, from Pixar. It was it was pretty interesting, and it is. I found it. I loved his presentation because you no, know, he didn't have slides. He was reading, um, but of course, you know, it's like having a world-leading author uh, m making some of his books like it's like cryptonomicron coming to life in in, in front of you and it was it was really <laughs> awesome I, I thought 
And I, I like some of his, you know, phraseology. He was going through some of the problems with like social media. You know, uh, he's saying social media has got people addicted to harvesting dopamine from the internet, <laughs> which, which I thought was a very Neil Stevenson thing, thing to say. Um, but no, he, he also, you know, he had a good perspective on how Web3 is going to add value. I think he changed a lot of people's minds, or at least persuaded people to take another look at some of the Web3 technology. Yeah, he had a very balanced point of view. And I think he made the case, and of course, I expect we're going to talk with him directly about this when, when, we, when we welcome him on the podcast. But, you know, he looks at Web3 as an enablement, an enabler for artists, uh, giving them re- true artistic freedom, independence from the suit and the people who, who pay them. Uh, and I think, you know, given the amount of content within Metaverse, it w- it's a very good point. And I think he was a very interesting and eye-opening point of view, got a lot of good feedback. Yeah, totally. No, if we if we can enable genuinely enable more collaboration and cooperation, you no, know, if adding real value, real economic value, you no, know, he was quite persuasive. So, yeah, I spoke to a lot of folks after the course who said that Neil's talk opened up their eyes to to Web three to help incentivize artists. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to talk about you know the the endeavor of starting a new layer layer one blockchain in in twenty twenty three and how you can do this you know, factoring all the learnings that we had so far. Uh, so looking forward to that episode. Stay tuned for Neil Stephenson on the podcast. Uh, our next presenter at SIGGRAPH was Guido Coroni. Um, he's the father of USD. Uh, you know, he led the team who created it and he's currently leading uh, 3D engineering in Adobe. So I think it was a very interesting uh, presentation as well. You know, rationalizing why we need a standard and a common language to power the metaverse. And he took the perspective, you know, to talk about the open metaverse and to make it, in his, in his words, inclusive, accessible, and producible. Um, I think accessibility is interesting because, you know, we always think, uh, you know, about high power, you know, like leading edge. And he, he made a very strong case that, you know, whatever we do, our presentation is to support lower power device because this is, vast majority of the planet may not afford the latest, uh, the latest hardware. So it was interesting point on accessibility and inclusivity. Yeah. That was a kind of a recurring theme. And then, yeah, Guido was very eloquent about it. As actually, as you say, not everyone has high end hardware, uh, but end user content creation is going to become more and more key. So, so how do you square that, that circle? Um, and you know, the need for standards. So the metaverse is a consistent place so, you know people can, can relate to yeah and and he used lots of ai generated uh art in his presentation which was which he made himself which was quite cool <laughs> it was quite beautiful i mean guido's talk really set the stage for big three big themes that we saw of course today just the need for open standards in the metaverse uh the delivery versus authoring use cases for 3d assets in the metaverse and then yeah ai assisted content creation yeah ai was a big thing all, all the way through the whole show, not just the course, but yeah, everywhere. Yeah, and there was a lot of optimism about AI as an assistance to artistry, not as as an alternative to artistry, which I think is uh, is important to call out. And 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 the downside too, you know, are you um, using other people's work? I mean, that was also being discussed uh, a lot. So you know, you need to you need to figure out both sides of that equation. And absolutely. 
And then we had Steve May, who's the current steward of the USD Open Source Library as the CTO at Pixar. Uh, he gave us, you know, a wonderful insight on the origin of, of a USD and how much work went into making it what it is today and how it's currently being expanded to serve as the core component of building the metaverse. So, uh, of course, he made the case that USD is production proven. I think it started back in 2012. So, you know, it's been uh, going through a lot of iteration. And Pixar is using it to render thousands of frames per day and insisted on the, the performance. Uh, you know, production proven made is a highly performant uh, and proven uh, technology. And for him, you know, the, the, the reason why he thinks that uh, it could be a good foundation for the metaverse. It's, it's a proven language uh, for large scale modeling and world building. So, and I think there was a big consensus around that at Sigurd that USD is a strong base. Yeah, so, so much experience and um, knowledge has gone into building USD. I mean, it's just incredible the work and investment that, that Pixar uh, have put into it. And of course, they have the best demo reels too, <laughs> ready made. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I really liked his commitment and, and interest in engaging the community. And I also just thought, you know, if you sit back and look at all the technology that's enabled in the metaverse, I mean, it's coming from games, it's coming from movies, it's coming from geospatial. You know, so to have Steve and Pixar in the course, I thought it was very representative of, of the work that's being done. I think that's another, and that's another thread. And it came up all through the day was you know, USD is awesome technology. You know, how is it going to find its way into other markets and use cases you know, beyond you know, movie making? So it's a very interesting discussion. And then we have Natalia Tatarczyk from Unity. Uh, we all know her from her work on the, you know, the full day course at Sigurav called Advance uh, in real time rendering for games. She's a huge contributor to the community. And she presented her point of view uh, you know, calling it the creative verse. She, she was worrying the metaverse was too much, uh, too much tainted by VR. Uh, but it should also make the case that USD could be a valid foundation for real time as well. I mean, Steve was really about movie making and large scale uh, database pipeline, and and Natalia take, took took the argument further and say, hey, that that could work uh, for real time and runtime. So this notion of a Having a solution that span authoring and runtime was interesting. And she gave us a very detailed explanation about scene layering and compositing and scene portability. Uh, hopefully, uh, some of the slides are on the CCM page of the CGRAF course. Hopefully, in that your slides are going to be up there uh, pretty soon as well. But I, I felt it was a really, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this optics or the angle of scene portability, layering and compositing, I think was, was interesting and it came back throughout the day as well. Yeah. And I, I think he was uh, also, as you say, eloquent on if USD is going to reach its full potential, you know, uh, there needs to be some standardization around it. As everyone knows, you know, at the moment it's a great open source project, but if it's going to get out there and this is the recurring theme, you know, how is it going to navigate standardization? It's not a trivial question and that there's so much technology in USD and parts of it are very complex and it may not be suitable for standardization, but I'm sure parts are. You know, so how do we you know, find the right balance? How, how does USD navigate that? It's a very, it's going to be a, probably a topic for the next couple of SIGGRAPHs to come. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and when we were 
looking for presenters for this course, you know, we weren't like, oh, let's go find a lot of people to talk about USD, right? We were looking for, you know, who, who are the technical builders? Who are the visionaries? And we said, what do you want to talk about with respect to the open metaverse? And it turned out that we had a lot of folks, uh, including Natalia, you know, who wanted to talk about the potential for USD. So, you know, I thought that that was insightful. And then, yeah, her her phrase, the, the creator verse, I think, you know, was another theme throughout the day in terms of empowering creators, having a, a low barrier to entry uh, for, for creators. Well, I liked about Natira's presentation. She had a very pragmatic argument about what's needed, you know, uh, how, how can we get to standard for real-time 3D? You know, she called that, you know, protocol schemas, versioning of those schema, consistent rendering, you know, having uh, portable behaviors and all those things. So it, it was interesting. The, the, the depth of the thinking is, uh, and it was, it was necessarily the other presenter. I mean, we, we can, we can foresee a roadmap to get to the standardization and we kind of know the, uh, the things we get to knock off to get there. So I thought it was very, a very positive, uh, and for me, it made me very, very optimistic about the road ahead to standardization. And then we had we finished the morning with Rev Libaridian from NVIDIA, your colleague, Neil. And uh, Rev is the guy who's, you know, he's taking everything that the other guy said and he's doing it. Omniverse is actually, a, uh, a, you know, has USD at its core. And... Uh, you know, so Rev made uh, made uh, a lot of interesting representation about Omniverse. Uh, Neil, you want to talk to that? Yeah, I mean, this is a a great example of you no know, USD already being deployed in real time, and use cases and applications not just being used for um, offline movie rendering. And you know, there's lots of cool technology in 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 Omniverse. I mean, there were a couple of examples that Rev was using. You know, digital because he was focused on using um, uh, uh, on use case for metaverse in industrial rather than you know, uh, consumer uh, and, and gaming. So it was an interesting, different perspective. Digital twins was was one of the use cases. Now, what happens? What can you do if you connect the real and virtual worlds? And all kinds of insights can happen not just in real time. But if you have enough processing power to start simulating the real world as to what might happen, and if you can do that quickly enough, uh, fast enough, you can begin to you know, predict the future. <laughs> so that was a very interesting uh, framing of the power of you know, uh, high-performance uh, simulation, trying out different future scenarios. You know, very powerful, interesting idea. He actually called it out at superpowers, right, if I remember well? Superpowers, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and Rev's a very passionate and inspiring speaker, and I, I liked that he showed just the scale of the metaverse, which became a theme that we started to see later later in the course. Uh, and then also looking at all these use cases uh, outside of entertainment. Uh, and Mark and I are excited because we're going to have Rev on, on the podcast this season as well. Yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, to talk to Rev. I think he he made the case, you know, about real time simulation and when you can have a digital twin and simulate the future and having recorded the past, it's like you have teleportation, time travel, and then you can explore alternate futures. So I think it's, uh, it's very powerful. And, you know, the role, of, I mean, he talked a lot about AI and the role of AI and, you know, calling, calling Omniverse a place when Warbot can learn how to be a robot. I think it's also a good, um, a good summary of what the NVIDIA is trying to do with Omniverse right there. Yeah. 
and I, I liked his other example of training a, a, a robot inside the virtual metaverse and having it interact with the environment and then just lifting that training out into a real robot. <laughs> and it worked. You know, that was, that was another very cool example. Yeah, we'll see a lot of that in our futures. So, and so that that right wrapped up our morning session. Uh, at that time, Patrick and I were a little bit relieved. You know, things were going well. I think the, the depth of the conversation and yeah, the alignment. I mean, we did not we did not line up everybody to say the same things, but at the end of the day, there was a big consensus. And the afternoon that we had, uh, you know. We had designed to be more about scale and talk about the standards was actually pretty good too. We started off with Morgan McGuire, the chief scientist from Roblox. And um, he talked about scalability, but, you know, it was interesting because he really talked about scalability at a very, very high level. So not only did he call out the challenges of getting 10,000 people to interact together, but he also really encouraged us to think about the implication of having so many people together in terms of behavior, ethics, and civility, and really called out that those things need to be built, those rules need to be built in a system from the ground up. I mean, you just don't build a system and hope that the behaviors are going to be, people are going to behave. So, you know, it's, we need to lay down the rules and build the rules. It's a little bit similar to what we heard from Tiffany Wang, which is sort of about ethics and policy on the forecast, on the, on the podcast, like it's really important to take those, you know, safety civility, ethics, to, to build those uh, and think about them very early in the design of the, of the experience that we build. So, you know, you can, you can do this uh, afterwards. I want to thank Morgan for bringing this, you know, to calling this out because uh, I think it's very important as we build those virtual spaces, you know, that they are the civility, privacy, moderation, and safety are all, you know, important. Yeah, no, Morgan was, was an awesome speaker because, you know, he had obviously a real genuine passion for this aspect. And, and he's right. It, it is important because, you know, we've all learned from, um, social media. You know, it, this all could go horribly wrong you know, for everyone in the metaverse because there's so much more data being gathered. Uh, you know, the, 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 the potential for downside is, is, you know, pretty huge. So, you know, if people begin to not to trust metaverse for various reasons, then, you know, we're all, everyone is, is going to lose in, in multiple ways. So I think uh, Morgan's absolutely right. You know, we need to build this in. And uh, actually, he re he's reflecting something that's coming through in the metaverse forum too. It's that, that whole topic is bubbling, you know, right up to the top of the topic list. So it's very interesting. It's good that people care. Yeah, I'm glad to see that trust is such a prominent topic. And just in general, it was such a treat and an honor to have Morgan in the course. You know, I've been a big fan of his work, his teaching, his books, uh, all the open source work that he's done. Uh, and, and I really liked his examples of what young and small teams are creating with Roblox in just a few months, these incredible 3D experiences. You know, and I think back to like when I was doing uh, game programming in high school with Turbo Pascal and what people are building today with Roblox was just so far beyond my wildest dreams. You're dating yourself, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Just mid, mid, mid nineties, mid back. Let's not get there, Neil. We want, we want to have a little bit of a. <laughs> oh, actually, I did Pascal too, believe it or not. <laughs> well, me too. That's what I learned at engineering school. So, <laughs> and the next presenter we had was Jeff Peterson, uh, interesting guy because uh, pioneer of online game at SOE, Sony Online Entertainment. 
then CTO of Second Life, and now working in, in AWS as a principal engineer in gaming. So he has visibility, you know, from the early days of MMORPG all the way to Second Life to, to AWS today. So it was a fascinating presentation, uh, which is on the website. Uh, took a lot of detailed example and lesson learned from Second Life. Uh, you know, uh, the anecdote is this got me interested in Second Life again, hearing from Jeff. So we did invite Phil Prosdale, the founder of Second Life. He will be here this season on the podcast as well. We have a few questions for him and, you know, reflect back on what was the metaverse and his vision in 2003, four, and uh, what he thinks now. So stay tuned to hear from Phil Prosdale on, on the podcast. So, and then the, the thing is, uh, it was interesting to me because I never thought about this is because there are not a lot of open economies right now in the metaverse, but once you have an open economy, uh, you have a whole lot of complexity uh, that builds in, you know, he mentioned people having, so in Second Life, I'm in the same environment to create, there is no difference between runtime and authoring time. I mean, you're in the world, you create and you trade. And so people can own millions of objects in their inventory. So you need to, you know, you need to cater to the storage of all those things. Uh, it has a cost, you know, you have to figure out when things are not used anymore, referenced by anybody. So you have a garbage collection problem in the metaverse, right? Nearly was a little bit of a, a surprising, uh, and how much compute it takes them to actually, you know, garbage collect their meta, their environment and making sure that they can dispose of the object that nobody uses anymore. So, uh, it was interesting. So it was a lot of, uh, it makes you think about a lot of, uh, you know, very pragmatic uh, things you have to to think about to create successful open economies in the metaverse. Yeah, no real garbage collection I, I, <laughs> in the in the virtual world. I'm looking forward to having virtual clutter to go with my real life clutter. <laughs> but you know, Second Life was so far ahead of its time in many ways. It's it's awesome you having Philip Rosedale on on the podcast. Um, and no, but Jeff was saying. Um, something else interesting too, and it comes back to this recurring thread we've highlighted several times now, and you, the importance of end-user-created content. And you know, but he, you know, his perspective was: if you don't have that, you know, and you're relying on in-house teams to try and create content in that kind of environment, you you run out of content in a couple of days. You know, that's what he was saying. So you know, it's not just a nice to have; it's a really you know, vital part of that kind of uh, online ecosystem. So it was interesting. Yeah. It's true. Neither Roblox nor Second nor Linden Labs were creating content for their platform. It's all 100% done by the users. Um, and then he had some some interesting anecdotes about future-proofing yourself and how some you know, you know some minor upgrades can can have a lot of uh, unintended consequences uh, in the world. And you know, once you commit yourself to a live platform, it, it will take a level of software architecture and, and uh, very very different to enable to upgrade without breaking anything. And something that you publish today has to live forever in theory in the metaverse. So it's a lot of, a lot of work for us to get there. And then we, we invited two people from the world of a standard defining organization from SDOs. So the first was Nadine Alame. She's the CEO of Open Geospatial Consortium, a former guest of the, of the podcast. And Patrick, you want to, I mean, this is your field, right? Geospatial. So. Uh, do you want to summarize what uh, Nadine told us? Yeah, it was super cool to have Nadine at the SIGGRAPH course. You know, we've done so much work bringing 
computer graphics to geospatial, and now we're able to bring some geospatial into the computer graphics community. Uh, and the, the dean spoke about scale, right? And geospatial, how do you represent the world at super high fidelity and, and incrementally stream parts of that? How's the geospatial community doing that with open interoperable standards? Uh, she also spoke a bit about AI-assisted content creation. So if you look at uh, the work of Black Shark as an example, where they take satellite imagery, find building footprints, and then do extrusions uh, of, of 3D buildings and texture them uh, in a geotypical way. And that work's even used in uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator, which a lot of listeners may be familiar with. So it's just great to see the themes that are being applied within geospatial and how they're also applicable to the bigger metaverse. Um, and then, you know, she also stressed the, the importance for this cross-domain collaboration and cross-SDO, standard finding organizations collaborations, you know, such as work between uh, Kronos and, uh, and OGC. Yeah, I, I like that geospatial is a science, you know, to describe it as the science of where, because all of these things, well, we're going to need that in the metaverse. We, I mean, we're going to have to to figure out where things are. And uh, so all, all the problematics from the geospatial world, I think we can we can learn from that. It's good to see that collaboration uh, starting to happen, thanks to Nadine, so. Yeah, she's a really, again, another passionate person and, and passionate around open standards and collaboration. It's awesome, awesome to see. And then we had you, Neil, to close uh, the day. We asked you to, uh, of course, you were there as the president of Kronos, but also as the chair of the Metaverse Standard Forum. So. Can you remind us what you uh, what you said with that wonderful British accent of yours? <laughs> I've forgotten. <laughs> no, it's it. I was. It was an honour uh, to to end up end up the day. So you know, we were kind of following on from uh, Nadine the, the importance of open standards. You know, they're going to be one of the tools that we have to you know get the needed technologies out there pervasively. Um, that we used to counterbalance some of the USD. Uh, we had, we used GLTF to, uh, as a case study, some things we should do and some things we shouldn't do. You know, some lessons learned from um, building the GLTF uh, ecosystem. So hopefully that was uh, useful for folks to understand how standards you know, actually, actually happen. And then you know, we ended up with uh, an update on the Metaverse Standards Forum, which is bringing together organizations like Kronos and OGC and, and many, many others to uh, to cooperate on open standards for the Metaverse. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, I thought it was a good session. <laughs> and then we have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Kronos bought us a beer. Uh, there was the networking reception from Kronos. So thank you, Neil. Yeah, we had a good time. So a lot of friends. At the Kronos, um, so Patrick, if we if we reflect on the day, uh, I, I think you know this is kind of what we we talked about earlier. I mean, I don't think we had predicted it would be like that full on consensus around USD could be the foundation for the creation of a standard, uh, you know, for virtual worlds and digital twins and all of those things. So, you know it. We saw it coming as we prepped the course, but I think that throughout the day, actually the presenter were worried about the amount of repetitions they had to synchronize among themselves because they intended to say pretty much similar things. So I think it's a very powerful consensus that's happening there. Yeah, it was interesting to to see the, the number of folks who, who maybe were working independently and then as they started talking to each other, we're like, oh, hey, we have similar ideas. So Yeah, because... For their daylight, for their day job, sorry, they're mostly competitors. You know, 
And it was interesting then when we give them an opportunity to, to work together and to say, hey, why don't you give your point of view? And they, they landed on very similar grounds. I mean, there was a lot of nuances, you know, everybody also has, has worries. Uh, but I think, you know, there was some sort of a, of, of a direction that came out of it. And, and I think, it, I think it's up to the metaverse standard forums to pick up the ball and turn that momentum into action and actually get to, uh, you know, get to propose something. So how, how are we going to do, how are we going to do this, Neil? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but, but you're right. It, it is a very interesting topic. And that's actually you know, where we ended up the very end of the day, uh, kind of saying, you know, there's this momentum behind USD. There's you know, a strong GLTF ecosystem. And it's an interesting observation that they're kind of working towards each other. You know, as we've just been saying, you know, USD looking for uh, higher performance and real time uh, deployment and GLTF has use cases right now today. So we're beginning to do scene composition and behaviors much simpler than, than USD. So not, not immediate, uh, overlap, but, the, but you can see the directions, um, that there is a potential for you know, overlap and confusion in, in the future. And that's the kind of things we want to avoid. And hopefully, uh, the metaverse standards forum can help us, um, you know, um, fragment and confuse the industry through better co coordination and cooperation. So, you know, the, the forum, now, the update at SIGGRAPH, you know, we're over 1,500 companies now um, in participating in, in the forum, a really wide diversity of, of different companies bringing lots of cool uh, perspectives. And um, it's, it's great to have this opportunity to have you know, this attention being paid to open standards in the metaverse. But of course, it's also a, a challenge uh, to you know, get real action and decisions. So what we're doing, we're slicing and dicing. And we're in the midst of setting up the first wave of working groups to you know, focus on specific areas and any members can join the groups that are of interest to them. And the one that bubbled to the top, not so, perhaps not surprisingly, was the whole topic that we've just been talking about, you know, 3D asset interoperability. So in the next few weeks, you know, we're going to have that working group set up and we'll start creating data and you know, trying out in real life, you know, what works, what doesn't work for authoring and deployment. Um, a, a Deming quote, my favorite Deming quote, you know, in God we trust, but everyone else bring data. <laughs> and as we, as we try to navigate through, you know, what, what's going to deploy where, what's going to work where. I think if we can bring data to the table through that collaboration, that's going to be a real world tangible value to, to everyone, you know, as we figure out the optimum path forward here. And so, yeah, so, the governance of the forum, we're going to create domain working groups, and then there will there will be proposals. And the outcome of those domain working groups is requirements for an SDO to create a standard. I mean, let's remind that the standard forum itself is not a standard defining organization. It's just a place to have the conversation, coordinate between SDOs and industry, and produce requirements. That's right. So we've already had the membership. You know, they've um, contributed 200 different topics, and we've bundled those up into domains and that actually worked out pretty well as a process. And yes, we'll have the first um, five or six domain working groups, hopefully in the, in the next, in the next few weeks. But, but yes, it's a good, good point. Our, the, the, the forum is not the place where these standards will be created. We want to accelerate and assist you know, GLTF at Kronos, all the work that OGC is doing, you know, USD and all the great ecosystem work that's happening there. 
you know, we, we want to accelerate and provide useful data to all those folks. So, yeah, actually, I got two questions at Cigarette regularly. People say, how are you going to make something concrete with 1,500 people at the table? And I think we covered this, you know, so the domain working groups. And the other question was, why the hell are you trying to standardize something that does not exist? Uh, you know, like the metaverse. And again, the, the answer to this question is, is about setting a shared foundation, and you know, so that we can we can build up from a shared foundation. And for me, what we heard through the course is USD has proven, you know, is proving that there is a scene representation that can work for authoring and for real time. And it would be fantastic that in the early days of the metaverse, we align on that on that foundation, and not start off with two or or multiple and having to realign them down the line. So I think it's. If we, the challenge would be to restrain ourselves and not try to standardize things that are not mature and isolate the parts that are, you know, drive the consensus and are proven to be to the concept that are proven to be working and scene composability, portability, I think as proven by USD is one of those things. So I'm pretty, pretty hopeful about this. Yeah. You know, the, the, uh, our, our statement we've used a number of times. So I apologize to people for it already. No, we're not trying to build the metaverse coffee cathedral we're baking the metaverse bricks because there's there's key interoperability problems that are clear and present today and if we can be helpful in you know, find, helping the industry work through those and not go through a long period of fragmentation and confusion um you know we, we i think we can contribute to that discussion in, in a positive way um then we can make real forward progress and have real benefits for people today. You now, even though we're not quite sure what the Darwinian process is going to be and what the metaverse is going to end up being, you know, there's useful work that we can do right now. So, Neil, do you think there's any lessons learned from the internet? Right, if you look at the the Internet Engineering Task Force, I guess there was maybe government regulation that was maybe pushing interoperability and open standards, but we don't have that for the metaverse or not today. But we do have the hindsight of the internet and the interoperability and the economic value that that created? Yeah, it, it's, if you look back at the internet history, it is kind of interesting that, you know, the, there was uh, government not guidance or government impetus, I guess is the right word to um, create something that was open and available to all. And you know, we don't quite have that in the same way this time around. The, the wheel of reincarnation. So as we're creating uh, the metaverse version of the of the web, you know, it, I, I think because we don't have that uh, impetus coming externally, it's up to the industry to really make sure we have a, a as far as we can you know, a vision and a shared cooperation and coordination to make sure we don't make missteps and perhaps we can avoid some of the snakes with Web 2.0 with Web 3.0. So I hope so. Yeah, well, I mean, we're we're about to see. I mean, Patrick is leading the charge, a group of great companies, uh, and you know, to 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 create the initial uh, proposal for the three D three D asset interoperability working group. So it's about to get real, and uh, hopefully, we'll we'll show some some good results. I don't know what the timeline is, but I think uh, you know we, we're certainly making sure we're going to have the right people around the table and create a very inclusive. Uh, wide-ranging yet very competent set of people to to talk about this. Yeah, that's it's pretty cool. We have the we, as you say, we have the right people around the table, and I think we can be 
focused. And, and frankly, this is going to be the make or break of the forum as a, as, an, as a concept. If we can get these working groups to deliver value, value and real, you know, data, uh, to, that's useful to the industry, you know, it, it, it'll have proven its worth. If not, then, you know, it, it will be less valuable <laughs> as a, as a forum to the industry. So this is, a, this is a critical, critical phase. And I think 3D asset interoperability is, is a great place to start. And so I'll remind you, if people want to contribute, you know, they're, uh, only organization can be a member of the forum, no, no individuals. And then it's pretty much like a Spanish hostel, you know, there is a website and you, you, you know, all information is there, but you need to go get it. And then if you want to contribute to a domain working group or to conversation, there are forums and, uh, people are, are, are welcome, uh, to contribute. So, but it's, it's really on a, on a voluntary basis. We're not going to go get you. Uh, but if you if you go to the forum, you'll find all the information, all the tools, and all the, the possi- all the opportunity uh, to contribute and make a difference. So that's that's how we we you know we want it to be open. All right, well, gentlemen, uh, we are officially uh, kicked off with season three. Uh, I think it's an interesting times. You know, the past year, many of us were or many were drunk on the Metaverse Kool-Aid. I think it feels different in September 2022. You know, people are building it. People have sobered up a little bit. People are more focused on the problems they want to solve. And I think this is a, a very good moment to, to make a difference. So I look forward to season three. Uh, we had some amazing guests lined up. We, we talked about some of them today. We have many more. Uh, in the coming weeks and for the Metaverse Standard Forum, I think it's, you know, we're, we are, we are hard at work. Uh, so Patrick, any, any word of wisdom? Mark, that was all very well said. Uh, I do just want to add some shout outs and thank yous for all the folks who helped put together the Open Metaverse course at SIGGRAPH, uh, including the folks at Epic, at Cesium, SIGGRAPH themselves were really fantastic. Uh, and all the folks from from Kronos as well. So it was a, a huge effort to put that together. Uh, and then, Mark, I think you're exactly right that you know there was a, a lot of hype, and now here we are in September 2022, and it's getting real, and we're building, and it, it's going to be a very exciting and uh, insightful time. Well, thank you, Patrick Neil. Well, I can't wait for the episodes. I'm going to be an avid listener as to all the episodes as they appear. Um, but no, the, my my takeaway thought from Sigraphy, it was so awesome to see people in real life. And it was the first time I've met you, Mark, in real life. So that was really cool. And I discovered, to my surprise, it was the first time that you two have met in real life as well. <laughs> so that was even more, even more awesome. <laughs> Patrick and I were so busy, even the first day of Sigurd, we, we met the morning of the course. We met in front of the, oh, are you Patrick Cozy? <laughs> and so... Yeah, yeah, I forgot about this. We spent so much time together, Patrick and I, virtually, that we actually had completely forgotten that I had never met him. Yeah, we had a good time. It was good to see you, Patrick. Yeah, it was really cool to see you, Mark. Hopefully we'll see each other at another conference soon. Yeah, definitely. All right, I want to thank our audience. Uh, You know, as usual, hit us on social, let us know what you think. Give us ideas and themes, give us feedback, even the things we don't like to hear, you know, let us know how we can make this podcast better. And once again, Neil, thank you for being back with us. And uh, Patrick, uh, looking forward to season three.